Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Hey, join us at Walters for the first ever Nats Chat podcast party. We'll hang out, watch playoff baseball, chat about the Nats, and get to know fellow fans of the team. The event begins at 7 p.m. at Walters, just across from Nationals Park, on Friday night, October 14th. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The 0-2. Swing a slow ground ball. Backing up on it. Mountcastle at first. He'll throw to second. They'll get one. The return throw to first with Kramer covering is too late. And so a run will score. Garcia hustles that one out. Thomas crosses the plate. And the Nationals lead 3-1. Two men to the left. Two to the right. Now the pitch. Swinging a fly ball as well to right center field. Thomas in the run going way back to the warning track. To the wall. And it is gone. Over the 14-foot, 8-inch wall in right center field. And he's tied the game on the third pitch here in the top of the fifth inning. Infield in, runners second and third. A run home, we're tied at three. The pitch swung on, into the air to right center field. It's shallow coming on as Manessis into a slide, and he can't make the play. Runners had to hold, so now Henderson comes in to score. Over to third goes Arias, and in the second with a pop fly double is Austin Hayes. And the Orioles lead 4-3. to three. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, September 14th, 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Round two of the 2022 Battle of the Beltways got underway on Tuesday night. Game one of a two-game series for the Nats against the visiting Orioles. So the result was a 4-3 Nats loss. Nats were up 3-1 through three innings, but uh, then came the struggles of a former Oriole, Hunter Harvey. We had a lot of quality young talent on display in this game. C.J. Abrams and Luis Garcia for the Nats. Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson for the O's. Pretty good game. Ultimately, though, another Nats loss. You know, I was thinking, Mark, I mean, you have the Nats and the O's. You have this uh, rivalry or pseudo-rivalry. In college football, you have like, you know, a cup, like say the Apple Cup, you know, in a rivalry. Can we have maybe like the Masson Cup for these Nats-O's games and like the winner of the series for the season gets the Masson Cup. Like maybe we could put 
your face on one side of the cup, Rock Kabako's face on, on the other side of the cup. I don't know. Is there something we could do to spice things up a little bit? I mean, if that wouldn't motivate these guys to give their very best, I don't know what possibly would. I'll see who I can talk to uh, from the home office and see if they can get that thing ready in time for Wednesday's finale. We're kind of running out of time here. But it's funny because every year they play each other and whoever the manager is inevitably gets asked about the rivalry and they'll you know say the right thing and all that. And you can tell that, look, to be honest, for the players, most of the people in uniform, it really doesn't have any extra meaning, especially at this point where the teams have changed so much and they're very different places now in their rebuilding efforts. And then the game starts and there's a healthy amount of fans from the visiting team, whether it's down here in D.C. or when we're up in Baltimore. And it does actually create a different kind of juice for those games. Now, I don't know if the players feel it or not. Certainly, you know, for them, these games aren't as meaningful as when the Nats are facing the Braves or the Mets or for the Orioles when they're facing the Yankees or the Red Sox. But I do think for fans, it does still have something to it. And the fact that they had an announced crowd of 31,679 on a Tuesday night in September says a lot because you've got a team going nowhere that we know the interest level is way down. And yeah, there are a lot of Oriole fans here, of course, but there were still a pretty good number of Nats fans on a Tuesday night. And I give them credit. They've done better attendance wise than I thought they would here down the stretch of this season. Yeah, I think that's kind of an underrated aspect of this Nats season. The fact that their home attendance has not cratered to the extent that you would think that the home attendance might have cratered given the season that the Nats are having. I mean, for comparison's sake, Nationals' average home attendance this season is much better than Orioles' home attendance this season, even though the O's are in playoff contention and the Nats are not. You know, and I know that these figures are paid attendance. We get that. But still, I mean, that's true for every team. I'm just looking at ESPN.com right now. The Nats, in terms of average home attendance uh, for this season, per the latest data here, 19th out of 30 major league teams. That's pretty good when you're the worst team in the majors. Now, I guess next season might be the ultimate test because next season, you know that things are probably not going to be good. At least this season, you still had, say, a Juan Soto, a Josh Bell. So maybe next season, the attendance figures crater. But I give the Nats credit. I give the Nats fans a lot of credit. This is not, you know, an Oakland situation, a Miami situation. Like, people are showing up in Nationals Park. And, you know, we've talked about this for two years doing the podcast. We know there is a diehard fan base out there. And I think one of the most encouraging things over the last couple of months is to see how much interest and even in some ways renewed interest there is in the team in spite of the trade and in spite of the record. There's a lot of genuine enthusiasm for the young guys on this team and wanting to see how this is all going to come together over the next several years. Now, I do think the numbers next year are going to go down. I think the season ticket base, obviously, and that's what so much of this is about. It's hard to imagine how that won't go down significantly next year. But they do this thing right, and I think the fans will come back. And as we know, there is a loyal group of you out there, those of you who listen to us every single day, and we can't ever thank you enough for that, who are in this thick and thin no matter what. And, you know, I think we're, we're still seeing that here at this stage of the season. Yeah, I think it says a lot about D.C. as a baseball town. You know, many years ago, someone said there are no real baseball fans in D.C. That's a fiction. I think that that has been proven to be false. There are real baseball fans in D.C. and in the D.C. area. Well, the former Oriole, Hunter Harvey, he had been good for the Nats, but he ended up having a rough outing in this game on Tuesday night. So 
Davey Martinez, I guess, said to himself, hey, off day on Monday, off day on Thursday, I'm just going to go all in with my bullpen. Corey Abbott did not have a very long outing as an ad starting pitcher. Davey ended up using six relievers in this game. You know, if you didn't know better, you'd think that the Nats were in playoff contention with the way Davey was uh, playing things from a bullpen perspective. The bullpen ended up overall doing well. Six Nats relievers combined to allow two runs in six innings with six strikeouts. But the guy who struggled was Hunter Harvey, the former Oriole. He allowed two runs in one and a third innings. The Orioles two run fifth, allowed two runs, recorded just one out, gave up a leadoff homer to Ryan Mountcastle, gave up a full count double by Gunnar Henderson, gave up a single by Ramon Arias on a one-two pitch, issued a wild pitch, and then gave up a one-out RBI double by Austin Hayes. This was another game in which the Nats, for the most part, did not hit. But I guess it stands out, A, because Harvey used to be with the O's, but B, he's done a good job with the Nats. And so to see him give up a homer, to see him struggle and labor as he ended up struggling and laboring, that stood out just because we're not really used to that from Hunter Harvey as a national. Yeah. So there's actually a lot to put together (laughs) from this one. First of all, this was really the first time we've seen him struggle to that extent. It's the first home run he's allowed this season in the big league. So that was a surprise. You also had, for the second straight time, him pitching multiple innings and throwing a lot of pitches, something that I don't know that I ever would have expected to see David Martinez allow him to do, given his injury history. He pitched on Sunday in Philadelphia and threw 39 pitches over two innings. Comes back with one day off. He gets through that fourth inning, gets a quick double play, gets out of that inning, and comes back. He was on, what, only seven pitches that inning. Comes back for the fifth, and he ends up throwing, in this game, 27 pitches over an inning and a third. Now, he says he's feeling great, and I guess that's a great sign that they have gotten to a point with Hunter Harvey that they aren't so much worried about his arm that they could let him do that. But, boy, it felt in the moment like... You're kind of pushing the envelope here a little bit too much. Then you have the whole issue of him facing the Orioles again. And as Hunter told us afterwards, he was way amped up for this. And especially Ryan Mountcastle, his best buddy in his wedding party. They talked to each other every day. They'd been talking trash for days leading up to this outing. And Hunter said he grooved him. I mean, he didn't try to, but he grooved a 99 mile hour fastball down the pipe. Mountcastle homers. And they look at each other going around the bases and they literally both laughed. And Harvey was laughing as he's telling the story, but he's also really down on himself saying, I can't believe I was laughing after giving up a home run. Like, I can't do that. This clearly was an unusual situation for him and for Mountcastle, one they were excited to have, but also it seems like Hunter Harvey really let his emotions get the best of him in a way that we had not seen before. That's notable. And that's interesting. And I guess, you know, good for him for admitting to that. You know, I think you can forgive him laughing. I don't think it's because like he doesn't take the game seriously or anything like that. That was a unique circumstance. I mean, it's worth noting the Nats did not get Harvey directly from the O's. The Nats claimed Harvey off waivers from the San Francisco Giants this past November. But yeah, I mean, he was with the O's for years, eight plus years. In fact, the O's took Hunter Harvey with the number 22 pick in the 2013 MLB draft. And we've talked about this. He's been around professional baseball for almost a decade now. This is only, though, his age 27 season. He's so young. He's been hurt so often. The talent is there. He's done a good job for the Nats. Did not have a good night, though, on Tuesday night. But like I said, the Nats bullpen in this game, I thought was impressive because after Hunter Harvey, you got one zero after another. Andres Machado comes into the game, bottom of the fifth. 
faces two batters, gets two outs, despite entering the game with runners on second and third, just one out, and the Nats down 4-3. Jordan Weems, a scoreless top of the sixth. Steve Ciszek, a scoreless top of the seventh with two strikeouts and a hit-by-pitch because, of course, he issued a hit-by-pitch. But Mason Thompson, perfect top of the eighth. Carl Edwards Jr., a scoreless top of the ninth. I mean, this was not necessarily the Nats' A bullpen, although, you know, I guess you had Edwards pitching, but Machado, Weems, Ciszek, Thompson, and Edwards all doing a good job for the Nats. Yeah, and it's the reason why I felt like watching this game play out, I never imagined it was going to end at 4-3. I thought they were going to come through at some point there, do something and take advantage of that work they were getting out of their bullpen. It just didn't happen for them offensively. But Mason Thompson, we've talked about him. He keeps getting these opportunities. And Davey actually put him specifically in a spot against the top of the Orioles lineup. He wanted to see how you would face them late in a game like that. Another 1-2-3 inning. Mason Thompson has been really impressive since he came back up. And so if you want to project this out to next year and you're looking at them still having under their control, Kyle Finnegan, Carl Edwards, Hunter Harvey, Mason Thompson, Andres Machado, who am I forgetting that's also on that list? Tanner Rainey, if he's healthy. Well, yeah, right. Whenever he comes back. I mean, they have some pieces to work with there. And that's a nice position to be in and something they have not been in really in a long time, if ever, in their history. Now, it's relievers. So as we know, year to year, it may not all work out and they may not all have the same success. But when you have that many of them, you don't necessarily need them all to pan out. You just hope that a couple of them continue the success that they've shown this year. So that has been really over the last couple months, such a striking thing to see how that bullpen has kept them in a lot of these games. And when they just hit a little bit, they're in a position to win games late and they have actually pulled it off a few times here lately. The sample size of Mason Thompson at the major league level this season is tiny. I mean, he's only thrown 15 innings, but he over those 15 innings has allowed one run He has an ERA of 0.60. He has a whip of 0.67. I mean, what we have seen has been impressive. He's done a really good job, did another good job in this game on Tuesday night. By the way, I was thinking about this, and this might be like a philosophical question, but if Steve Ciszek faced Victor Robles, how could the result (laughs) not be like the greatest hit-by-pitch in the history of hit-by-pitches, right? Because all Ciszek does is issue hit-by-pitches. All Robles does is take hit-by-pitches. I feel like it would just be this cataclysmic event of a hit-by-pitch if Ciszek faced Robles. All right, now I got to look it up because I'm sure they faced each other. He has been hit. Three plate appearances, two at-bats, one strikeout, one hit-by-pitch. There it is. So it has happened. But I would think if it happened again, it would be something special. C-Shack versus Robles. We can only hope at some point we do see something like that. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. We are into September, a time for pennant races in baseball, and Window Nation is offering pennant race-worthy savings. New windows from Window Nation at half the price. Get two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Lower your energy bills, raise the value of your home with new energy-efficient windows from Window Nation. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90-NATION and tell Window Nation 
that Al Galdi sent you. Window Nation windows are the best. You know, the longer that you have old drafty windows, the more money that you're wasting on your heating and cooling bills. Window Nation has saved customers over $60 million on energy bills. And the average Window Nation installer has over 16 years of experience with 20,000 windows installed. Window Nation windows are great and Window Nation windows are installed right the first time. Take advantage of this terrific deal. Buy two windows, get two windows free. This goes for any style of new window from Window Nation and pay nothing until 2025. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90-NATION. That's windownation.com or 866-90-NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Here's the set now on the pitch. Swing and a miss. Struck him out of the game's over. Got him with the splitter. And Felix Bautista records his 13th save in 14 tries. And the Orioles, who came in having lost six of eight, an uphill climb in the wild card race in the American League, get a much needed win for them in the opening game of this brief two game Battle of the Beltways interleague series. So for the Nats offense on Tuesday night, just three runs, eight hits, a mere two walks, one for 11 with runners in scoring position. The Nats did have four doubles for the eight hits were doubles, but, uh, you know, another one of these games in which the offense was unable to do much. Initially in the game, the offense was good, three runs over the first three innings, but then after that, 
not much happening. Now, very interesting development in the Davey Martinez Nats lineup on Tuesday night. Luis Garcia was your Nats number four batter, as Davey mercifully did not have Nelson Cruz as the cleanup batter. Nelson was the number five batter, but Nelson was not the number four batter. Luis Garcia was an ads cleanup batter, and he went one for four with an RBI double and an RBI force out. Garcia in the Nats one run first, a two out opposite field RBI bloop double uh, to left field to tie the game at one. And then Garcia in the Nats two run third grounded into a one out RBI force out for a 3-1 Nats lead. Now, Nelson, like I said, number five batter, then got pinch hit for by Josh Palacios. We have seen Nelson lately deal with a lot of minor stuff exit games, then maybe miss a game or two or three. Do we know why Nelson was pinch hit for in this game on Tuesday night? Yeah. In this case, he was having an issue with his left eye. Uh, He was having blurry vision. And I guess he had the same thing in Philadelphia. Remember, he missed a game there. It was a scratch from the lineup and that was going on there. So that's not a good thing. He's going to get it checked out. We'll see if it's anything to be concerned about. But yeah, you know, Davey moved him out of the cleanup spot. As far as why Garcia was there, I think it was more a reflection of what the other alternatives were than necessarily a huge endorsement of him as a cleanup hitter, though he he said drove in two runs. I thought what was interesting there is we have seen them at times go Thomas one, Garcia two, and then Manessis Voigt. And instead here you had Manessis two, Voigt three, and Garcia four. Maybe a sign of Davey looking at Joey Manessis as his clearly best hitter right now and saying, I want as many at-bats as possible from you. I'm putting you in the two spot, even if it leaves uh, somebody like Luis Garcia, not a traditional cleanup hitter in the number four spot. So I thought the way they were hitting early in the game, this was going to be good offensive night for them. And they just did not sustain it at all after the third inning. And they had a couple of chances later on and squandered them uh, at times because of poor execution at times because of some fundamental flaws with base running. Yeah. I mean, that's offense overall has been a lot better lately. We should make that clear. But this was not a particularly good night on Tuesday night. You mentioned the flawed base running. Geez, where have we heard and seen that before with the Nats this season? C.J. Abrams on Tuesday night, your Nats starting shortstop and number seven batter. One for four with a double. So good to see him have an extra base hit. Bottom of the six, a leadoff opposite field double to the left center field gap. He then, though, on the very next pitch, got thrown out at third base on a grounder off the bat of the Nats starting catcher on Tuesday night, Israel Pineda. Take to the plate. And a swing and a ground ball to short. Abrams breaks for third. Mateo throws to third, and the tag is there in time. And Abrams is out. Look, C.J. Abrams has been a lot better offensively lately. What was he thinking, though, in running from second to third on a grounder to shortstop like that? He admitted he just got too aggressive there. He realized a mistake. You never, never, never run on a ground ball hit in front of you. If it's behind you as the runner on second base, you go. If it's in front of you, you hold up, especially with nobody out. He knew it was a big mistake. He said, I'll never let it happen again. So, you know, credit to him for that. He's 21 years old. We know he's going to make some mistakes. He's been overall really good here lately. You don't want to harp on it too much, but that was a big one. At a, in a one-run game where it could have made a pretty big difference if he just does the right thing. So bad play. And, you know, you can say, okay, he's 21 years old. He's going to make a mistake. And yes, that's all fine. And I would trust that that's not going to become a recurring issue for him. But on a team that has run into so many outs on the bases this year, it's pretty frustrating to see, especially in a one-run loss. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the season, if you want to rank what was the Nats' biggest problem this season... I think there are like five or six different answers that are acceptable. But if you tell me it's base running and the many, many outs that this team has run into, 
I don't think that you're wrong if you say that. I mean, this team has cost itself so many outs and thus so many runs this season just with the bad base running throughout this season. You also have had bad defense for the Nats uh, for most of this season, although the defense lately has been a lot better, especially in the infield. I did, though, want to highlight what continues to be the case at first base. And, you know, I don't want to beat up on Nelson Cruz here again, you know, especially if he's dealing with this left eye situation. I mean, I, I certainly hope that he's okay. But, you know, as we've talked about, Nelson being the regular DH clogs up that spot and it forces Luke Voigt to be the every game first baseman because if you want Luke's bat in the lineup, he's got to play first base. The Nats on Tuesday night were charged with two throwing errors. And I think you could argue that each one was another instance of the first baseman, Luke Voigt, not catching a throw that, yes, wasn't perfect, okay, but also, yes, was catchable. So Luis Garcia in the top of the seventh got charged with a throwing error uh, as he in throwing from second base to first base for a potential double play, made a one-hop throw that got by Luke Voigt. Not a great throw, but at the same time, I think a good defensive first baseman can catch that throw. And then Ildemar Vargas on Tuesday night got charged with a throwing error. Vargas was the Nats' starting third baseman. His throwing error, and I put throwing error in quotation marks, came in an Orioles one-run fourth. Vargas made a really good play. This was a slow roller off the bat of Jorge Mateo for what was ultimately an infield single. Vargas made an impressive charging and barehanded scoop of the ball. His throw to first base got by Voigt, who did his Luke Voigt thing of lunging and falling over. You know, it's it's like Humpty Dumpty. Like, he falls over so many times when he's trying to catch these throws that, yes, are less than perfect, less than ideal. I recognize that. But, geez, not every throw to first base is like bullseye pinpoint accurate, you know, right to you where your glove is like, you know, right by your chest. Like, okay, you're going to have to move a little bit. You're going to have to extend yourself a little bit. You know, he's not graceful. He's a big bulky guy. We get it. Defense isn't Luke Voigt's thing. Like, I'm not trying to shame Luke Voigt, but geez, this really does stand out. So many throws already. I mean, this hasn't been that long that Luke Voigt has been the Nats' regular first baseman, but so many throws. We've had this discussion already so many times of like throws that could have been caught, but aren't caught by Luke Voigt. And the throws go down as throwing errors, quote unquote, on whoever made the throws. All the King's horses and all the King's men couldn't put Luke Voigt together again? No, unfortunately, no. So yeah, here's the thing. In a perfect world, a first baseman makes those catches, of course, scoops them. But if you can't do that, you got to at least knock it down. Don't let it get past you. And that's what we're seeing here because the ball gets past you and it goes all the way to the dugout. There was one of them, Israel Pineda, is racing down the line to back it up and almost got there and didn't quite get that the ball ends up in the dugout. That's an automatic extra base for the runner. So you have to have that awareness of, do I have a shot at making the scoop, maybe getting the out? If not, Whatever you have to do to knock it down and keep it in front of you to at least keep the runner at first base, not let anybody else advance. And he has not done a good job of that. Now, I I just keep thinking back over the years, how many errors did Ryan Zimmerman save? How many errors did Adam LaRoche save from their infielders by making good scoops on less than perfect throws? It's a big, big part of this. And when you have young infielders who are supposed to be such a big part of their future, I keep saying I think it's really important that they have a first baseman who can help them make them better, not make them worse, not make them even think more about, oh, I better make a perfect throw or else we're in trouble. 
Like they got enough going on to be thinking about that too. They should just react, make the best throw they can and trust that their first baseman is going to be there to make the play. And so I do think it's an issue for them moving forward. I don't think they can go into 2023 with Luke Voigt as their first baseman. And maybe they won't. Maybe they're going to move him to DH or maybe they aren't even going to re-sign him. But you got to find out now if Joey Manessis is appreciably better And if not, you got to know that so you can go into the offseason and look at somebody else. And we just have not seen enough of Manessas. We know he's better than Voight. We haven't really seen enough of him to know what kind of first baseman he is. It really is annoying and like off-putting that we are in the dying days of this oh-so-bad Nats season, you know, a lost season. This is essentially like an exhibition period. Why you wouldn't have Joey Manessis as your every game first baseman to see how he is defensively at that position, to see if your infield for next season and maybe beyond features Joey Manessis at first base and Luis Garcia at second base and CJ Abrams at shortstop. Like, why wouldn't you be doing that? This is very odd to me. You know, I, it doesn't make sense. Like, forget about the Nelson Cruz stuff. Why the heck wouldn't you be evaluating Manessis at first base? Why are you wasting your time with Luke Voigt at first base when it's so clear that that's not his position? He's a DH. So if you're going to keep him moving forward, he's your DH. You don't have that many games left in this season. And that's now our 49 and 93 on the season. We just have a few weeks left in the year. Why wouldn't Davey Martinez be having Manessis as the regular first baseman? Why wouldn't Mike Rizzo be telling Davey, hey, Davey, We want to evaluate Joey here. It's very strange to me that that's not happening. The only thing I can think of is that they just feel like they already know that Joey Manessis either is or is not a first baseman worthy of that position next year. And they base that off what they've learned at AAA. But it's a different story at AAA, as we've seen, than it is in the big leagues. Why wouldn't you want to get as much information as you can? You see them do it with so many other players who could be part of the future. They are making an effort to get as good of a look as as many of these guys as they can, except in this case. And I don't have a really good answer for it other than maybe they think they already know that Manessis is fine there. And maybe they just feel like they owe too much for whatever reason to Nelson Cruz and do not want to disrespect him, even though I don't think that he's be disrespected in the least if he was not in the lineup every day. It better not be because they feel like they owe something to Nelson Cruz. I mean, that is insane if they feel that. Well, they owe him $15 million. Yeah, they've shown him enough respect, okay? They have treated him with nothing but respect, okay? It's very odd, very strange. You know, throughout these last few years with the Nats, we have seen them at times almost be in denial that they're in a rebuild. And yet, right, they do things that are so obvious in terms of like being in accordance with a rebuild, right? Like, That sell-off of July 2021, that screamed, we admit, we're in a rebuild. You know, the way the Nats acted this past offseason in barely acquiring anybody, that screamed, hey, we get it, we're in a rebuild. Trading away Juan Soto and Josh Bell, that screams, hey, we're in a rebuild. And yet, at the same time, you continue to play Nelson Cruz in his age 41 season. You're not having Joey Manessas play first base. It's a weird juxtaposition. Like on the one hand, it feels like you are all in on, hey, this is where we're at. And then on the other hand, you're still doing something like this Nelson Cruz thing and not having Joey Manessas play first base. So it is strange. But yeah, here we are. Nats with one game to go here against the Orioles. You know, I mentioned Corey Abbott. He had a rough outing, two runs in just uh, three innings of work in this game on Tuesday night. He threw a lot of pitches and uh, not many for strikes. He threw 72 pitches, 41 for strikes. But I had a thought with this game from an Orioles perspective that I think applies to the Nats. So 
The Orioles starting pitcher in this game was this guy, Dean Kramer. And, you know, he was so-so in this game. He allowed three runs in five innings. Dean Kramer last season was one of the worst pitchers in the majors. Dean Kramer is a guy who the O's got from the Dodgers in the Manny Machado trade. A trade, by the way, that really hasn't worked out so well for the O's. They really didn't get much for Machado in terms of the prospects panning out. Kramer right now seems to be the best of the bunch. Kramer last season at the major league level had an ERA of 755. He got twice demoted to AAA Norfolk. Kramer this season, even with his outing on Tuesday night, 18 games, 17 starts, ERA of 334. He's been a lot better this season than he was last season. Dean Kramer is one of the guys who I've thought about when I think about Josiah Gray in terms of someone who was really bad one year and then took a giant step forward the next year. Now, Gray this year is not as bad as Kramer was last year. Kramer last year was worse than what Gray has been this year. But, you know, if we're being honest, Gray is not having a very good season, especially as this season goes on. And I think it is instructive and I think that it is encouraging to see a guy like Kramer who can look so bad one year, look so much better the next year. It can happen. It does happen. Young pitchers taking big steps forward. That's obviously what we want to see from Gray and others. And I I just, it kind of stands out to me because the O's are where you want the Nats to be, right? A team on the rise, a team with a bunch of young players coming up and looking like they're going to be good. Like, you know, Adley Rutschman looks like he's going to be great. Gunnar Henderson looks like he's going to be great. So just something to keep in mind if you're a Nats fan, what Dean Kramer did and what hopefully guys like Josiah Gray end up doing. You just mentioned Kramer's name so many times. I'm wondering if you're looking for a discount on your eyeglasses. Well, I was thinking we had that pitcher, Jason Alexander, earlier this year, right? So if ever there's a matchup, Dean Kramer versus Jason Alexander, that's like, you know, the end of the planet, I think. Nexus of the universe, perhaps. Something to keep in mind here with the Nats. All right. So the Nats at the major league level are not in the postseason this year, but the Fred Nats are in the uh, low A playoffs this year. Uh, Their best of three series with the Lynchburg Hillcats got going on Tuesday night. And the Fred Nats won and won in shutout fashion, a 2-0 victory. And the reason to be mindful of this more than anything is that Jackson Rutledge was the Fred Nats starting pitcher, and he was great. Eight scoreless innings, six strikeouts versus one walk. He only gave up three hits. You know, we've mentioned Jackson Rutledge a bit as the season has gone on. It hasn't gone well overall for him since the Nats took him with a first-round pick a few years ago. But this season is proving to be a step-forward season for Jackson Rutledge. So of having dealt with injury, of having dealt with ineffectiveness, maybe possibly he's on track here. He's looked good. He's looked especially good lately. And obviously, in a big spot, you know, as big as a low-A postseason game can be, he came through on Tuesday night. Yeah. So the number one goal for Jackson Rutledge this year was stay healthy, get innings, make a bunch of starts. So he got to that point now. He's doing that. Now he's also dominating, taking another step, which I think is really significant. Now he's doing this as an older pitcher at low A ball. He is more advanced or should be more advanced than the hitters he's facing. But they knew this year is just about keeping him on the mound and getting him through a season And now next year, you can maybe start the process of advancing him up the ladder. So that'll be next for him. But that's really nice to see, number one, that he's healthy, number two, pitching as well as he is. And let's hear it for the Fred Nats, who are now on Thursday night, going to have a chance to sweep the best of three series. And we'll be sending Harleen Susana to the mound, the 18-year-old flamethrower who came in the Juan Soto-Josh Bell trade. That would be very cool for them. If not only did they win this series to advance to the Carolina League Championship, but did so behind pitching performances from two legitimate building blocks for the Nationals. I just I can't help but think of how last year 
Totally different roster, of course. But last year, the Fred Nats start the year 0-17, one of the worst in minor league history for anybody. And here they are the following season playing potentially for a league title and doing it with legitimate prospects. When you talk about minor league team success and winning titles, it really does not matter in the big picture, except when you're talking about teams that are winning with actual prospects. I think that is significant for them and their development. Yeah, I mean, the Nats farm system clearly has gotten better. Now, obviously, there's a conversation to be had of why it got better. Like, did you have to make the trade that helped to make it so much better? The trade that netted Harleen Susana and some other prospects. But that's a different conversation. Yeah, I mean, the Fred Nats clearly are in a better spot than they were a year ago. Mackenzie Gore is going to make another rehab start. And uh, it's funny, I was... There's quite the buildup here for this guy to make one major league star, right? I mean, it's like it's hard to remember something like this where it's like, geez, the goal is just one start and like that's going to be it. And, you know, what if the start doesn't go well? But he does seem to be tracking toward making that start. And it looks like another minor league rehab start is coming. I mean, it's all we have at this point to get excited about, right? The, I mean, we thought we were going to see Gray, Cavalli, and Gore somewhat here in September. And we're not seeing Cavalli, although he may be cleared to throw here in the next couple of days. That's a good sign. We're seeing Gray, although he's struggling. And we're just hoping to see something of Gore before it's all said and done. So he is slated for now to pitch for Rochester on Friday. Hopefully actually get the three innings complete, 45 to 50 pitches. That would all be good. The sense from him and the other start the other day was that he just wasn't sharp. There was nothing physically wrong with him. He just didn't have command of you would want, which I guess is understandable when you're making your first rehab start and haven't pitched in a while. But he is trending and tracking towards building himself up to be able to make at least one, maybe two starts for the Nats here at the end. And I know it doesn't sound like much, but right now you got to cling to whatever you can. And I do think it would help everybody if we could have a chance to see him and hopefully have him pitch somewhat well to give you a sense of what he can be going into next year. So this would be the thing. What if he doesn't pitch well? Does that make people feel worse? Or is it just, hey, if he pitches and he's healthy through the outing, the results don't actually matter? I think that's what they will say because, of course, you're going to try to find the silver linings in everything. But it would be nice if he pitched well, wouldn't it? Especially you talk about that last week of the season when they're facing, I believe, the Braves and the Mets. So those could actually be some pretty significant games that you may have him out there. It would be nice if he pitched well. I hope that he does. I, what, what I don't want to see is him come in and get shellacked. And then we're like, well, now what? You know, because you're, you know, you're, you're taking a chance, even if he pitches and he, may, he, he makes it up to that point healthy. If he gets rocked, okay, well, then what? Is he going to feel worse going into his offseason? Like, you know, you, you could play conservative and just say, hey, do your rehab work. You're not going to pitch in a game here, but let's work hard and let's target spring training. There is a bit of a, of a risk, especially if you're facing a better team, that he could have a hard time in his first major league outing for the Nats. I mean, you know, we saw what happened with Cade Cavalli in his debut. It didn't go so well. And that doesn't mean anything for the future necessarily, but it's not just, hey, if he pitches, you feel great. If he pitches and he struggles, well, then what do you think? Yeah. The one thing I'd say here that's different is he had pitched, you know, the first three, four months of the season for the Padres was really good for about two months before he started to have trouble. And then uh, revealed the elbow inflammation. So it's not like it's his major league debut and this is the only thing we would have to work off. It's just the only thing we'd have to work off of him as a national. So I don't think it's going to change anybody's opinion of what he is. I, I would imagine he has done enough already to know and be confident in his own abilities that he wouldn't let a rough outing get to him and ruin his whole offseason. But yeah, there is some risk, of course, in doing it. I think like we've said all along, the feeling here is if he's ready, and he's a pitcher and this is what he does for a living, 
then why not put him out there? I'm sure they will be watching him more closely. It's not going to be let the reins off and he goes 100 pitches, anything like that. But they figure if he's ready and there's still season left, put him out there. Yeah, and and, and that's fine. And, and it will be exciting when he pitches. I mean, that will be something to look forward to. Well, this episode of the podcast is for Wednesday, September 14th. Three weeks from Wednesday, September 14th is the end of the Nats regular season. So like we said, time is running out. So it's going to be interesting to see, do we see Mackenzie Gore? If so, for how long? Do we see Joey Manessis play more at first base? You know, maybe Davey's waiting until later in the year. You know, hey, three weeks, you know, maybe Davey's waiting till the last day of the season to, to make that change. It's just, it is strange. But yeah, time is running out. So if you're going to do stuff, let's do it now. You know, let's see some different things. Let's see people be put in some different positions if in fact you want to evaluate people and uh, see how this season ends up playing out. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to NatsChatPodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. As Rutledge gets the three-quarter swing, he's got that first strike. Got Diaz gathers down the third base side, and Green won't even run it out. Jody Sweeten, full has to bottom there, baby! Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.